Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Pop Punk Project. My name's Mike. And as you already know, my name is Keenan. We're really excited to be back with you guys this week. <laughs> Whoa, Mike, are you okay? Why are you wheezing so much? Your face is turning blue. I, I just... <laughs> oh my god. Well, I know this is a bit insensitive, but what a weird coincidence. This week we're discussing Weezer's Blue Album. <laughs> okay, well now you're just being dramatic. Why don't you sort all that out while the rest of us stage dive in. Weezer, commonly known as the Blue Album due to the blue backdrop behind the band on the album's cover, was Weezer's debut studio album. Produced by Rick Ocasek of The Cars, it was released on May 10th, 1994 by DGC Records. A little fun fact, Keenan. Of Weezer's 15 studio albums, six are named Weezer, and one is called Van Weezer. How did they get away with that? For creative guys, they can't come up with many good album titles. I know, clearly. So they just named them all colors, didn't they? Based on what the album covers look like? Yep, exactly. All the color albums are just Weezer, a picture of the band, and then a solid color behind the band. Huh, fancy that. I think it's blue, green, red, black, white, and teal. Aren't those all the colors of the rainbow? Mm-hmm, yeah, the black rainbows that we like to see. <laughs> After forming in L.A. in 1992, the group initially struggled to engage audiences who were more interested in the grunge sounds of the time. After recording their demo, which was called The Kitchen Tape, they caught the attention of Geffen Records, which owned DGC at the time. Most of the album was recorded at the Electric Lady Studios in New York City, the Big Apple Keenan, between August and September of 1993. Rhythm guitarist Jason Cropper was fired during the recording, as the band felt he was threatening their chemistry, he was replaced by Brian Bell. Wow, that's cold-blooded, Mike. Really is, Keenan. Poor Jason. But I know they've reconciled because Rivers has played shows with him in the not-so-distant past, so water under the bridge. In addition to Cropper and then later Bell, Weezer at the time was comprised of Rivers Cuomo, who was the lead vocalist and guitarist, Matt Sharp on bass, and Patrick Wilson on drums. The album reached number 16 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and was certified triple platinum in the U.S. Triple platty, Mike? Triple platinum, Keenan. It's a big one for these guys. In fact, it's their best-selling album to date, having sold over 15 million copies worldwide. It has received much critical acclaim over the years, and in 2020, Rolling Stone ranked it number 294 on its updated list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Wow, we've seen that list before. I'm pretty sure My Chemical Romance's The Black Parade was number, like what, 400-something on that list a couple weeks ago? Yeah, so these guys are just above that halfway point, which, when you consider all the music ever made, is still a pretty impressive achievement. Yeah, that's huge. So this is our second band from that list. I bet there are more. There's got to be more pop punk, but it's just so hard to get through that list. Yeah, and this was 2020, so... 
I had read that this album was also on the list in its previous iterations, and it bounces around in the 200s in different lists, depending on the year. So maybe one day I'll make it all the way to number one. Overthrow Marvin Gaye. That's right. Here's to hoping, Mike. May 1994. How old were you then, Mike? I was three, Keenan. Oh my God, just a little babe. Yeah. Were you three as well? Oh yeah, big time. Wow. It was the terrible threes. Is that what they call them? The terrific threes. Is that true? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you have a three-year-old, right? Is he terrific? He's two, almost two and a half. And uh, yeah, he's a great kid, but he has his moments like we all do. I think we've heard him on the podcast before. Yeah. <laughs> a couple times. I already used this platform to bash my wife. I don't need to bash my toddler as well. That's fair. Really good point. Okay. Back <laughs> to the task at hand. What in the world is going on here, Mike? On May 2nd, Keenan, Dr. Kevorkian... <laughs> a, nice, a nice light headline to start with. Nice. <laughs> well, he was found innocent on assisting suicide for terminally ill patients. But get this, Keenan. Five years later, in 1999, he was charged with murder. At this trial, he had fired his legal defense team and represented himself. Never seems to work out for for people when they do that. <laughs> it's a bold strategy. You gotta, you know, you gotta appreciate just the balls of it. Yeah. The first name that comes to mind who also represented himself is Ted Bundy. So Yeah. And I think he got the death sentence, didn't he? Yeah, he did eventually die in prison. But this, I remember hearing this name over the years, and that was a hot-button issue, that topic of euthanasia. These people know they're going to die, and if they want to die, is it illegal to help them in that process? Apparently, but not the first time, only in 1999. People are pretty worried about euthanasia. What about the youth in America, you know? Why don't we just worry about ourselves? (laughs) That's great, Keenan. (laughs) (laughs) thanks when it comes to dr kevorkian the youth are not all right (laughs) Uh, there you go on may 7th get this mike this topic has come up more times than i would have ever expected the painting the scream by edvard munch is recovered three months after it was stolen now mike is this one of the other times that it was stolen that we talked about or is this a completely different instance I believe this was probably when it was recovered after it had been stolen during the Dookie album. Okay. Okay. That would make sense. Wow. How about that? Yeah. It was stolen during the month Dookie was released and recovered when the Blue album was released. (laughs) That's incredible. Pop Punk just has their pulse on current events. Yeah, they really do. Somebody's got to get this work of art under lock and key, Keenan. This is getting ridiculous. I was just going to say the opposite. I was going to say one of our fans out there should try to steal it present day try to get away with it i was thinking about that when i was reviewing these notes and wondering why this painting keeps coming up and i kind of got a longing for the past when art theft was a greater possibility i feel like security measures over the past 10 or 20 years have really eliminated that possibility and we're still waiting on a national treasure three right maybe that could be the plot of that movie could be but the thing that i've always wondered is Isn't that the only thing that makes art interesting? The fact that it has such crazy history, like the Mona Lisa was stolen and recovered a bunch of times too. And isn't that what makes it so precious? Yeah, I think art would be worthless if nobody wanted it. So the fact that people really want to steal these works of art. (laughs) 
Yeah, you should be appreciative of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, art rules. <laughs> and on May 12th, Keenan, Pulp Fiction directed by Quentin Tarantino and starring John Travolta, Uma Thurman, and Samuel L. Jackson premieres at the Keynes Film Festival. That's a big one, Mike. I would say that probably one half of college bros right now would list this as their favorite movie of all time. Yeah, this and Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Fight Club's another one. <laughs> and they have the poster of Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson pointing guns on their wall. Oh, yeah. And then the one of Uma Thurman on the bed. What is she doing? Like reading a book or smoking a cigarette or something? Yeah, I think she's smoking a cigarette. But Yeah. <laughs> it is a really good movie. It's just one that over time has been... It's become so a part of the mainstream that it's almost lost some of its novelty. Like, Tarantino was the guy that self-released, essentially, Reservoir Dogs, got enough money to make this movie, and then blew everybody away. And then at this point, it's just like, oh, yeah, that movie that everybody loves? Okay, whatever. Real unique. Yeah, true. I will say, though, that one scene with the uh, Royale with cheese, uh, that was iconic. It's brutal. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, lots of lines from that movie that I can kind of half quote. Like I'm thinking, yeah. do you have a drink so I can clear my throat? Yeah. And I know that's not what he actually says, but it's like similar. What's the other one? Uh, do they say what in where you're from? What was it? Yeah. Say oh, what, God. motherfucker. Some bros are so upset with us right now. I know. <laughs> do they speak English and what? That's the line. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, Mike, put on your tux and tune up the strings. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings, oh, here's some celebrity weddings. On May 26th, the King of Pop, do you know who that is, Mike? Michael Jackson? That's the one. MJ, at the age of 35, weds King of Rock and Roll Elvis Presley's daughter, Lisa Marie Presley, who was 26 at the time. They were divorced in 1996. As we know, that one did not last. It didn't. That's like the royal wedding there, Keenan. That's a big one. Yeah. Two iconic rock families finally brought together through love. Amazing. Even if it was only briefly, we're still glad that it happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lisa Marie Presley is an attractive woman, but it's still one of those situations where you look at her and you just kind of see Elvis Presley and it's like, huh, because he's so iconic and she resembles him a great deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what it is? It's the lips. It's the same thing with Steven Tyler and Liv Tyler. It's in the oh, mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the mouth. <laughs> you just see that father's mouth and... <laughs> you gotta give it a smooch, Keenan. Ugh. Out of respect for the king. <laughs> All right. Do you think when Michael Jackson said his vows, he said, I do! <laughs> Um, yeah, I see no other way to say it. Okay, thanks. Okay, let's get a little depressed, Mike. Celebrity deaths were so sad these celebrities died. On May 10th, John Wayne Gacy, the American mass murderer of 33 young men, was executed in Illinois at the age of 52. Now, Mike, didn't he have a specific killer gimmick? Yes, Keenan. He was a clown. He would dress up as a clown oh. and perform. So he got that reputation over the years as like the clown killer, like the creepy clown. Did he also kill in his clown costume? Did he like stalk people in a clown outfit? 
No, I don't think it went that far. Okay, that would have been a lot worse. Yeah. I know DNA testing wasn't advanced at the time, but if they found white makeup all over everything, it would have made it much easier to discern what had happened. Good point. He also gained notoriety for his works of art that he did in prison. Really? Speaking of valuable art, those come available every once in a while, and people pay a lot of money for John Wayne Gacy paintings. What? Are they actually good, or is it just like a novelty thing? I mean... They're good in the sense that, like, they're better than what I could do. That's well, not I. That bar's pretty low, so. <laughs> <laughs> you would see it, like, hanging on the wall in elementary school and think, oh, that's a nice painting. Oh, what's that, a, a Gacy? Yes. <laughs> on your Gacy. first grade classroom wall? Oh, yeah, that's a, a Gacy. He drew a lot of paintings of the Seven Dwarfs, which is my favorite Disney movie, so. Actually? Yeah, he actually did. He drew a lot of, like, Disney stuff. That is creepy coming from a mass murderer. It is. Anything kind of is creepy from him, but... True. Interesting guy. Uh, asshole. Piece of shit, <laughs> but interesting. <laughs> Let's make that clear. Oh, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> I mean, he did some bad things, but he had some decent ideas, you know? <laughs> so talented. Okay, back to the album, Mike. Hit us with some themes. Keenan, I feel like this is a running theme every week. And at this point, do we even have to say that this album discusses relationships? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but let's do it anyway. Well, there's a lot of relationships on this album, as we've seen in the past. But in addition to that, there are some coming-of-age songs that explore not wanting to grow up, coming to terms with your past, and wanting to live a life of fun and leisure, rather than one that is dictated by day-to-day expectations the world might have for you. That sounds great. That sounds like a theme I can get behind. A life of leisure? Amazing. Spectacular. I will say there seems to be some hints of teenage rebellion in this album, but they're not so in your face like other pop punk acts of the time. Thinking of like Sum 41 and Avril Lavigne, where they were literally like, stick it to the man. These were like small rebellions that I think us as kids could relate to, like standing up for a friend at school or at a friend's house, embracing your nerdy side, shirking responsibility so you can go on a day trip somewhere. Like, those were the types of rebellions that they were explaining, that they were discussing. Definitely. There was rebellion on this album, but most of the time it was more subtle and often clouded by metaphor, which probably made it more relatable for kids like us and kids at the time back in the 90s. Yeah, instead of jumping in uh, in El Camino and drinking beers, it was more like, oh, let's hop in the car and go to the beach and go surfing. Right, it wasn't as violent. <laughs> it was more passive-aggressive. Yeah, it was. Or like going to your, uh, your basement playing some Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, Rebellion. Exactly. I feel like you were a huge fan of this album. I feel like this is one that you listen to a lot. Absolutely, Keenan. I had said briefly last week that this isn't my favorite Weezer album of all time. It's my second favorite, which I think a lot of Weezer fans will put this at number one or two. But it was an album that I loved dearly for many years. And I first became introduced to it from our buddy Dave Dixon back in middle school. I was going to say the exact same thing. This album, and I think Weezer in general, always reminds me of Dave Dixon, who was our best friend in grade school, high school, and was in the Gum Bear Warriors with us. Yep. He's the biggest Weezer fan I know. Uh, knew everything about them and burned me this CD back in 
I don't know, sixth or seventh grade. And while we said Weezer might not be your exact definition of pop punk, for me, they really bridged the gap between the pop punk bands that I really enjoyed at that time and the more alternative music that I found myself listening to more in high school and college. So these guys were really important to me in that way. And I know we see from other bands we've covered that they inspired a lot of other artists at the time and in the years to come with the sound Weezer put out to cultivate this new pop punk sound. Yeah, I would consider them like a nice safe band. Like you could buy this album and your parents wouldn't question it. You could put it on in the car and everybody just enjoyed it. Like it had broad appeal and it was just sort of like a safe sound compared to other pop punk or emo acts at the time. That's what I always think of like, oh, this is just a good, easy listen. Track number one, My Name is Jones. Oh, sorry. My Name is Jonas. Oh, sorry. My Name is James. No, no, I was right the second time. My Name is Jonas. Uh, (laughs) I think the third and fourth one will be the funny. so funny mike this song which i think is one of the more popular weezer songs like i think people look back on this and many weezer fans will say that this is one of their favorites it wasn't even a single on this album i was a little surprised by that too this is one of the older albums we reviewed and over the years having not really lived and listened during the album's initial release at least not lived in the sense that we would go and buy this cd in the store you kind of just go off of what you hear on the radio. And for the most part, you do hear these singles still played today. And this one is among those. Like, if you asked a non-Weezer fan to name a couple Weezer songs, there is a good chance this one would be included. This song always holds a special place for me because aside from those singles with music videos that I probably looked up on Windows Media Player back in the day, this was really my introduction to Weezer, the first song on their first album that I ever listened to by them. From that little finger pick intro, it's a great start to the album. That intro was actually Jason Cropper's contribution to the album. He came up with that before he was dismissed. Oh, man. Can you imagine them taking one of the more iconic guitar riffs, using it, and then kicking you out of the band? Uh, I guess I can, since that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine it happening to you? That'd be terrible. That would suck. I mean, it's still his, technically, but oh well. So it's kind of funny. Before we even get into it, Mike, one of the things I'll mention is that Weezer has 
their own online encyclopedia dedicated to them. It's called Weezerpedia. So you can literally look up almost any song on this album. Actually, I think every song on this album and mm-hmm. get a little backstory or get an overview of the history of the song, what it was about, how it was made. And so there's all that information right at your fingertips. This is one of those bands where they had a huge dedicated fan base. I think very similar to the Fallout Boy fan base that we talked about previously, where there were message boards and there was gossip. Weezer was a very similar band in that respect. So there's a lot of lore and there's a lot of information out there. And I think we'll include a little bit of it in this episode, but we'll also talk about what we thought these songs were about before we had that extra detail. This one I actually read about. It was inspired by Rivers' brother, who apparently was having insurance problems after a serious car crash. So Rivers wrote this song about that very difficult situation and explains how like the man is always holding you down. That's an interesting backstory, but I've listened to this song for close to 20 years at this point, and I never would have thought, oh, it's about insurance. No, no, me neither. <laughs> it just seems like a work site, like a annoying workplace inconvenience where nothing's working right the tank is dry wheel is flat the dozer won't clear a path so i don't know i guess that can relate to insurance rivers wrote the song so i'm not questioning his interpretation of it i just always took it as work sucks and i know at the end of the day for whatever reason the workers are going home and they're kind of excited about it like it's not our fault we don't have to work today nothing's working including us Yeah, well, that's the late stage of the song. That's like the final verse and the bridge and all that. I think the rest of the song, I think the majority of the song is just a metaphor for dealing with authority. And I had always thought that this was a song about the pain and hardships of just growing up and having to deal with real world responsibilities and obligations for the first time. Feeling like you're constantly being screwed, don't have enough time to meet all your obligations. It was kind of the stress of being an adult for the first time. And I think... That worksite analogy is one that demonstrates that feeling. That's right. Come sit next to me, pour yourself some tea, just like grandma made when we couldn't find sleep. Things were better than once but never again. We've all left the den. Let me tell you about it. You're just going to quote this whole album, aren't you? Yeah. Your childhood and your innocence are essentially gone, Keenan. Yeah. Prepare for a life of sitting on hold. That's exactly right. Also, I don't know if we'll get to it again, but... We should also mention, did you see the name of River's brother? Uh, Yeah, it was Leaf? Leaves. Leaves, yeah. <laughs> Leaf is the name that I've heard before. Leaves is not. Yeah. They're very, um, they're very crunchy family. <laughs> they're, they're very one with nature. <laughs> they are, yeah. Pretty cool. That was pretty funny. Speaking of names, Mike, how about these other names in the songs? Jonas, Weepeel? How about Weepeel? <laughs> yeah, so... That wasn't a name I had heard before either. Weeple was actually a childhood friend of Rivers, and Rivers seems to pull a lot of personal information and put it into these songs. Not quite positive where Jonas came from, but I'm sure it came from somewhere. So I was an English major, as I'm sure we've discussed before, and I had a course in college in which we read Moby Dick, or were supposed to be reading Moby Dick, And the professor realized that nobody was reading Moby Dick. (laughs) So we had a pop quiz one day. Oh, boy. And one of the questions, what is the first sentence of the novel? (laughs) Which... Oh, boy. (laughs) It's kind of an iconic line. It's, call me Ishmael. Yeah. I 
knew it was something along those lines, and I couldn't remember what the line was, so I just wrote down, my name is Jonas. Did you really? Yeah. I was going to say, I hope you wrote something like, oh, damn, there's Moby. No. <laughs> oh, man, did you see Moby Dig out there? No, I, I knew it was something like Call Me Ishmael, but all that came to mind was, <laughs> my name is Jonas, because I knew it was a unique, almost biblical kind of name. Yeah, that's true. As an introduction, so that's what I went with. Was your prof a Weezer fan? Did you get, like, maybe... Half credit for that? No, no partial credit on that one. Darn, that sucks. I know he also did a critical analysis of Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, so he wasn't a total square, but I don't think he was a Weezer fan. <laughs> Damn, hate to see it. <laughs> Sounds like that guy's being a Moby Dick, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that class certainly wasn't my white whale, Keenan. <laughs> I don't know if this has ever happened before, Keenan, but first check on the album has my tattoo line. Whoa. Getting it done early, nice. Yeah. And this line, I just have always thought was so cool. And I'm actually going to take a little bit of liberty with this one. I'm going to modify it just a little bit. Okay, now you're just breaking the rules. No, no, let me explain. Okay, fine. So the line is, they're fresh out of batteries, but they're still making noise. And the full line is, got a box full of your toys, they're fresh out of batteries, but they're still making noise. So... I don't really want it to apply to toys in a box. I want it to apply to me and when I turn up and when I go crazy. Oh, damn. Okay. I'll allow it. Thank you. I'm going to cut the there out of it and just tattoo fresh out of batteries but still making noise. Love it. Acceptable. Thank you. I always thought that was like such a cool line. Like, where do you pull that from? Because I think it's something everybody can relate to. Like, that toy that's going off in the bottom of the toy box and you have no idea how it was turned on or started making sounds and it just kind of creeps you out. Yeah. At least that's still relevant in my life today. Jack has <laughs> a lot true. of puzzles that sing to you. <laughs> last time that happened to me, it was probably, um, that was probably last week. You know, when your toys start making sounds, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> You've all been there, right? 30 year olds. Wait, okay. Which part of your body? You never remember this. Oh, you're right. I'm starting to think we should just get rid of it. I think your whole body's tatted anyway. <laughs> I was so nervous to uh, make an exception to the, the rule that... What's the coolest place, uh, if you want to, like, turn up, you look at it and you go, yeah! Probably, like, a bicep. I feel like your biceps are done buns. Like, if I'm flexing in the club? Or maybe a, <laughs> a calf? That could be good. Maybe, like, the back of my right calf. Fresh out of batteries, but still making noise. What about fresh out of batteries on your left calf? but still make a noise on your right calf. Okay, let's go with that. And then you can take off running and then... Boom. <laughs> and then collapse. <laughs> and make noises as I roll around on the ground. Yeah. Perfect. Track number two, No One Else.
pretty shocking to hear this first verse, wasn't it? Yeah. The interesting thing with these songs is they're all so nice and sound so great musically. Upbeat, crunchy guitars. Sometimes you read the lyrics and you're like, oh man, this is actually a song about this guy being a complete controlling a-hole. Yeah, well, the first verse, he's being very critical of his girlfriend. But I had always thought listening to the song that it was this guy just being an asshole. Like it was this guy who is judging his girlfriend, saying that he wants somebody who's perfect and better than this girl. But then after listening to it again recently, after listening to it for this podcast... I think he's making fun of those types of guys. Like, he's being sarcastic. Yeah, like the idea that your girl can only laugh at your jokes. She doesn't leave the house when you're not around. Pretty much treating her like a piece of property or somebody that is below you and just follows your command at all times. So I don't think Rivers literally is that person. You never know. A lot of his songs are just a way of, you know, telling stories and and whatever, but... I think everybody does have some of those tendencies in regards to jealousy and having those feelings manifest at times. Not to this degree, but, you know, when you're with your girl and she's laughing at another guy, sometimes you just wish you could take her back home and leave her there. (laughs) I was going to say, this one definitely speaks to you. You're definitely one of those guys. (laughs) The first line, I do jokingly say to Abby that it reminds me of her because... (laughs) It's my girl's got a big mouth with which she babbles a lot. (laughs) And we sometimes call her Blabby Abby. Mm, Bet she loves that. Well, she doesn't really care at this point. She tends to go on and on with her stories and is a bit of a notorious storyteller. So it's in good fun. Yeah, that's fun. (laughs) I do let her put on makeup and be around other men. So Sometimes. Sometimes, if if I say so. I think he is just saying that those types of guys typically sabotage their own relationships by being too obsessive, controlling, hypercritical. It reminded me a lot of a couple Dashboard songs. Those Dashboard songs, Chris Caraba was self-sabotaging by overthinking things and acting a certain way because his own neuroses were taking over. I I thought back to to those types of songs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you should mention that because there was the one song last week where Chris says no one's waiting for you, like kind of talking about post-relationship, what's going to happen. And in this song, it's like he's telling the next guy, like, don't believe her. She does this for anyone. Like, you might think you're special, but you're just the next in line with this girl. Yep. This song, on a personal level, always reminds me of Dave. Again, most things that involve Weezer do. But I remember a random night in high school. It was back when pretty much most we could do legally was just drive around and him and I drove to the Gwen and Mercy College parking lot one night and he just brought his guitar and we randomly just were sitting in the parking lot singing this song. Really? Yeah. (laughs) So I don't really know why. I think we were just bored and we're like, let's just do this tonight. Nice. And eventually I know Brian Capps and Sean Kylie came and joined us and we just kind of walked around uh, the (laughs) campus, but... I found a video. I filmed it, and it's on my Facebook back from, like, 2008. So I'll have to find that. Are you serious? Yeah. That's insane. Really grainy quality, but... That's just some good, clean high school fun right there. Yeah, it really is. really made me feel good. Like, I was a pretty good kid in high school. I was just... I was probably trespassing, but 
with no bad intentions. Well, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely trespassing. Track number three, The World Has Turned and Left Me Here. That sounds happy. So according to the band mates themselves, Mike, and according to Weezerpedia, this song is actually follow-up to the last song. And it's what happens when those types of guys act that certain way. They said that this song is about that same asshole wondering why she's gone. You First you treat your girl like crap, and then you wonder why she leaves you. <laughs> yeah. This guy can't wrap his mind around why something like that would have played out. but Totally. And they even noted, Rivers said, these songs are two sides of the same coin. And I think Patrick Wilson said, eh, maybe, but we wrote these songs really far apart. And The World Has Turned and Left Me Here was actually one of the first songs they wrote. Whoa. So it wasn't like they wrote them one after the other, but... Oh, so you think they're just playing it up? Well, no, I think it might have worked out that way, but it wasn't like a an intentional effort at the time. Well, at its core, this is just like a classic breakup song, isn't it? Yeah, it's a guy just reliving all the good times in his head and wondering what went wrong. You can kind of see throughout the verses in the chorus that he thought of, of himself in a different way than how she saw him. He talks about talking to his wallet photo of her and her laughing and thinking he's so witty and interesting. And then he says, or maybe you didn't. Maybe it wasn't like that. So... He's kind of recreating things the way he wished they were, but they weren't. Can we talk about that line for a second? Talking for hours to the photograph in your wallet? Do people actually, or I guess I should say, did people actually keep pictures of their boyfriends, girlfriends in their wallet back in the day? Did you ever do that, Mike? Over the years, I have had a picture of Abby in my wallet, yes. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. So you're the exact guy I'm trying to talk to right now. Well, (laughs) I'm glad this came up because it's a pretty interesting history here. Ooh, nice. Over the past couple months, I have switched to the Ridge Wallet, which is the little one, takes up less space. Like a clip or an actual wallet, just smaller? It's a wallet. It's pretty much just two pieces of metal held together that you stick your cards into. So, Gotcha. Okay. But before that, I had a regular brown leather wallet, and there is that little photo spot For years, I didn't have a kid. I didn't have, like, any sort of card that needed to go there. So I would slide a picture of Abby in, like, as a joke, though. Not, like, (laughs) when I'm bored, just open up my wallet and gaze at her and speak to her as if we were together. Mm, Okay. You say that now, but... Yeah. But over the years, my wallet evolved as a place where I kept... My sister-in-law, Janie's most recent school photo. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, because Abby and I have been dating since 2011. So, I've known Janie when she graduated from high school, college, and optometry school. So, over the years, I've just collected (laughs) 
graduation photos of her and put them in my wallet as well. I can't tell if that's hilarious or borderline creepy. Or maybe both. Well, I mean, she gives them to me and I put them in the wallet. It's not like she doesn't know about it. You're not like stealing them from the house, like going through the drawers, finding her pictures? No, it's a running gag. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Wait, so do you have one in there now or no? Yeah, it's in, I mean, it's in my old wallet up in my <laughs> nightstand drawer, yeah. Cool. I'll post all of the pictures on the Instagram. Great. That's perfect. And actually, it's kind of funny because this is neither here nor there, but there was one photo of Janie that I didn't have. I think it was her high school photo. And we were over Abby's aunt and uncle's house one year for Christmas, and they had like a big bulletin board like in the laundry room with a bunch of family photos pinned to it. And a Janie photo was there that I didn't have, so I actually swapped out. So you did take it. I I did take that one. But I swapped out a picture I did have in my wallet at the time of Abby and I in Chicago. (laughs) Uh So now on Aunt Claire and Uncle Rob's bulletin board in their house, there's a little square picture of me and Abby (laughs) in front of the bean in Chicago. (laughs) Wait, do they know? Is this like, uh, let's wait and see when they find out? Or did you guys tell them? No, I, I didn't tell them. And I never will unless they listen to this. Oh, so this is like, this is a bombshell right now, Mike. (laughs) It was just something fun to do that day. Like engineer like a heist where i indiana jones style like swap the photos i love it yeah yeah that's great pop punk posse keep our secret please yeah especially you patrice she's the only one that really can let this out of the bag and she's a notorious snitch yeah she is a big snitch but that was such an insane tangent like we went from a single line to like everybody being like why does mike collect photos <laughs> yes yeah. i was really assuming you were gonna say no, Keenan, nobody has pictures of people in their wallet, and then we're going to make fun of those people and then move on, but <laughs> it turns out you're the guy I'm trying to make fun of. Yeah, I'm guessing you didn't, right, at this point? No, hell no. But I was thinking, if I would have done that, <laughs> like if I had a picture of a girlfriend in my wallet and then I broke up with them, or they broke up with me, what's the appropriate amount of time before you're like burning that or throwing it away? Because you got to hang on to it for a little bit of time, just in case you get back together. Yeah, that's true. Um... I don't know, a month? It depends. If you know it's over, then let it go. Yeah, but what if, you know? You can just do what I do and put it in your nightstand drawer when you get a new wallet. <laughs> That's true. But then I'm just collecting all the ex-girlfriend's pictures in my nightstand drawer? Okay, that's creepy. That looks like a hit list. That's an interesting <laughs> concept because I don't have any ex-girlfriend's pictures, so I just use my sister-in-law's pictures over and over again. <laughs> yeah, okay. That makes sense. I can't collect the way you do. True. Very and true. And I also should mention that since Jack was born, I did put a photo of him in there. So Okay, nice. I think that's a, its intended purpose. I know my dad always had photos of my sister and I in his wallet growing up. So Yeah, I think you're right. Not only did he talk for hours to his wallet photograph, Keenan, he also made love with her sweet memories 1,000 <laughs> yeah. times in his head. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was a little upsetting as well. A little disturbing. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say that maybe talking for hours and making love with himself a thousand times, he might be a bit of an exaggerator in this one. Or he just has great stamina. Yeah. One or the other. He's got to take it easy. (laughs) Yeah. Track number four, Buddy Holly.
Now, Mike, what did Weezerpedia tell you about this song? <laughs> well, it's the first single, Keenan. No, it's the second single, isn't it? Oh, you're right. It's the second. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, dude? You suck now. Well, it's the second single, Keenan, and it's kind of a personal song for the band. And Rivers had said that he never really writes any songs about inter-band turmoil, but in this one, the homies dissing his girl were actually members of the band kind of making fun of his girlfriend. He said he didn't really ever intend for the song to make it to the album. He kind of thought it was corny and embarrassing that he would put some disagreements between the band members in a song and onto the album. But Rick Ocasek urged him to at least record it, see how it came out, and then see how he felt. And thank goodness that's what happened because it kind of became their song, their big hit. Really catapulted them into everything. Yeah, it was huge. It was definitely one of my favorites back in the day. It also had this cool theme of defending your relationship, right? Not caring what others think or say about you and being able to just grasp onto that person and having their back. It was very Hello Goodbye. Hello Goodbye had a similar song like that where you're dating this person and people are judging you and you don't really care what they say. I think we actually made fun of, we made fun of Hello Goodbye for having that theme. And I, I don't know, this one just comes off as slightly more genuine. Like this theme is actually a good one, a strong one. Yeah, it is. Sorry, hello, goodbye. Yeah, our bad. Sorry if that came off too negative there. But yeah, if you don't stand up for your girl when your homies are making fun of her, then who's going to, you know? You know, you got to always be there for your friends, for your loved ones. You got to have their six, Keenan. True. Another little factoid, Mike. There was an earlier version of the song recorded before the album dropped. Had a slower tempo, had a different feel to it. And instead of saying, Mary Tyler Moore and Buddy Holly... He said, you look just like Ginger Rogers. I move just like Fred Astaire. How about that for an old-timey reference? That's very interesting, and I think they made the right call in the updated version because looking at Rivers, he does resemble Buddy Holly when he wears his glasses, and the way he's built, I doubt he actually moved like Fred Astaire. No, no. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were like... Two of the best dance partners, they were featured in films and plays and musicals, and they were super impressive. But it was weird. I was doing some digging. I just always assumed that Buddy Holly and Mary Tyler Moore had like a relationship or worked together or something. They had pretty much no connection at all. Did you know that? Kind of. I just, I didn't really look into the history. I just know that Buddy Holly died at a very young age, and I don't remember him having any interaction or any involvement with Mary Tyler Moore or the Mary Tyler Moore show, but it might have made more sense if he had said, I look just like Dick Van Dyke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there was a very famous music video to go along with this, right? There was. And I think the music video combined with just the pure catchiness of the song is really what helped propel Weezer into mainstream success. I remember having this music video downloaded on, I think it was probably LimeWire at that time. It was one of those song-stealing programs. But I had like a handful of music videos, and this was one of them. And I remember watching it probably over and over again because it was really all I had at the time. But it was one of the really interesting ones. It was one of the cool ones. It was a reference to Happy Days, right? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned 
you downloading on LimeWire because this is definitely one of the ones that I searched for on Windows Media Player. And I was actually interested to see that this music video was included on the original Windows 95 CD-ROM. <laughs> what? Yeah, like when you bought Windows 95, this music video was on the CD. Damn. Which I'm too young to remember, but I know we had Windows 95. And Pat Wilson said at the time the band was kind of upset because they didn't really sign off on it, but they attribute that to a lot of its success. And he likened it to... Imagine having the only video on YouTube and being upset about it. Wow, that's crazy. But yeah, it was a Spike Jones directed video, which he wasn't the huge name that he is nowadays, but he was had still done some good work. And it takes place on the set of Happy Days at Arnold's Restaurant. And they spliced in footage from Happy Days while the band was performing. And... It's just a really fun, like, it just kind of makes you smile. Like, when I watch this music video, I just kind of smile. It's just it's good. nice. Yeah. It's just funny. The The things that always stand out to me are just how goofy they're all acting. Like, Brian has, like, this little head bobble. And Matt has this, like, weird little thrusty dance that he does. Like, all their movements are just really, like, quirky. Yeah. They really play up the whole sitcom characters that they play in this video. And... While I think technology has advanced since this video came out, it was still pretty incredible for that time. Like, to have this current band on the set of this TV show that had been filmed in the 70s was pretty cool. And they apparently used no CGI. Apparently it was just uh, very intricate camera techniques and tricks. Yeah, it was camera tricks. They had a stand-in stunt double to play the Fonz at the end when he's doing his crazy dances. Because I remember when I first watched it, I'm like, how did they get the Fonz to do that? Because the Fonz is this cool cat. He probably wouldn't be dancing in the middle of, of a restaurant. But See, Mike, you're not thinking at the next level, though. That's so cool because it's out of character for him. Nobody else would even think to do something like that. That's what makes the Fonz really cool. Yeah, you're right, actually. I guess he does it first, then everybody else follows suit. Exactly. The one thing that did always bug me about this video, though, Keenan, Rivers isn't wearing his famous glasses. And I always thought, like, if you're going to make the music video where the chorus is, I look just like Buddy Holly. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you want to be wearing the glasses that make you resemble Buddy Holly? You'd think so. But I don't know. I guess it wasn't in character for this video. I feel like big black rim glasses were huge in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, I thought so, too. But man. We'll write to uh, we'll write Spike Jones and let him know we're upset. <laughs> Track number five, "Undone," the sweater song. This was the first single, Keenan. My first question for you is, what color is the sweater? Whoa, it's a loaded question, Mike. I'll tell you what I think. I always pictured it as like a white wool sweater. Mm, me too. Do you? 
Maybe not always wool, but definitely white. Yeah. Well, wool would be easier to like pull apart, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's true. So then, yeah, I guess it is a white wool sweater. All right. Well, that kind of is what I wanted you to say, I guess, because I always pictured a white sweater, but they never mention a color by name. But in reading Weezerpedia, <laughs> I saw that the original single cover had a white sweater as the background. Oh, it did? Yeah. So oh, we were right. Great. Cool. We're so smart. We are really smart. This is kind of a little thing that can lead to big things, right? One little thread is held as you walk away and suddenly everything unravels. I think it's a sadder song than the tempo really lets on. It seems like from the talking in the beginning that it's a fun party song and the chorus is fun and the it's upbeat. But when you think about it, it's a guy unraveling, being naked, being embarrassed, and being exposed, I guess. Yeah, I think it's about people's insecurities. The sweater's a metaphor for having your guard up while people are trying to break you down. And then once they're actually able to break you down, you just quickly crumble. From their own perspective, it's kind of cool to think about because as a band, they put themselves out there and they're always subjecting themselves to critics. So for them, I feel like this is a very personal song. They're always being unraveled by the people around them, or at least potentially being unraveled by the people around them. And that's especially true nowadays because for as much as everybody really loved early Weezer albums, every new album that they release gets a ton of attention, a ton of reviews written about it, a ton of people saying they miss old Weezer and they'll never write an album as good as this one or as good as Pinkerton. And I think at a certain point, these guys have to just be like, we don't really care. We're just going to write and play songs that we want to write and play. And if you like them, great. If not, okay. And having seen them just a couple months ago, I think they're still really enjoying playing music and writing music for their fans. So good for them. Yeah, totally. Mike, I know you love a good factoid. You want a quick factoid? Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. So the voices that you mentioned at the beginning of the song, and then you hear them again in the intermission, mm. mm-hmm. those are actually Carl Koch, who's a friend of the band, and Mikkel Allen. Does the name Mikkel Allen have any significance to you? Yes. She was one of the sisters we discussed on Jimmy Eat World's song, Hear You Me, Michael and Carly, or Mikkel and Carly. That's exactly right. They were essentially running Weezer's fan club at the time that they were becoming famous, at the time that this album was dropped and they were touring. And they would follow them show to show. And the sisters got in this bad car accident and were unfortunately killed. Well, Mikkel was actually the girl's voice during the spoken intermission. So that's kind of a fun but also kind of a creepy factoid, especially because one of the lines in that little spoken intermission is her saying... Um, did you hear about the party? I think I'm going to go, but my friends don't really want to go. Could I get a ride? So I don't know. Looking back on that, it's kind of dark. She's talking about getting in this car to go to a show, and that's, in essence, how she was eventually killed. Yeah, really unfortunate unintentional foreshadowing obviously it's a shame because 
I know those two sisters were a huge part of Weezer's early success in, like we talked about before, they would answer all the fan mail and really tend to all that kind of stuff for the band. And Carl is still the band's online presence. He really helped them get up and running when the internet started booming. And I know for the longest time, I haven't been on their website recently, but there's actually a section called Carl's Corner where he would update everybody about goings-ons in the band. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so from being featured on this song, and actually we'll see later, he's in the Say It Ain't So music video too, but the cool thing about Weezer is like when you're friends with the guys, they really just always treat you like a friend. They never big-time you or outgrow you. So I, I like that about them. Mike, can I give you this week's doppelganger? Mm, I'd love that, Keenan. This one is actually a self-proclaimed doppelganger by the guys in Weezer. Ooh, interesting. The intro guitar riff in the song and the riff that you hear throughout the song, Rivers later admitted that it was an inadvertent ripoff of Metallica's song, Welcome Home Sanitarium. And you can definitely hear the similarities. Listen to Weezer real quick. And then let's hear the original by Metallica. Which is a cool doppelganger, especially because they themselves admitted that the similarities existed, but it just points to Weezer's metal influences. And I think... Some of the lore of this album is there is a lot of metal influences throughout these songs, and they were heavily influenced by these early metal bands like Metallica, Kiss. These are bands that help them actually form their own sound. So I think that's a cool doppelganger. For an alternative album, they have like a pretty amazing guitar solo on almost every track, which is definitely passed down from those famous metal solos that you saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s prior to this album coming out. So Yeah, totally. There is an interesting line towards the end of this song, Keenan. It's good to see you lying there in your Superman skivvies. <laughs> Did you ever think we would talk about skivvies on this show? I assumed every episode we'd talk about skivvies. <laughs> That's just a word for underwear, right? Correct. Cool. But that just reminded me of, do you have like a favorite pair of underwear? Currently? Like over the course of your life. Like I remember my early days of wearing boxers. They had all the novelty ones. And I had a Homer Simpson pair. Oh, yeah. A SpongeBob pair. Nice. And a Ninja Turtles pair. And I think a Super Mario pair. Damn, so you have four favorites. Yeah, but just the Superman part of it reminded me of. Those old novelty boxes I used to wear in my youth. These days, my favorite pairs of underwear are the ones that just don't have holes in them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's most of them. <laughs> uh, back in the day, I did have one specific pair. Oh, wait, can I guess before you say it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you know, that would be incredible. Is it the smiley face boxes? Yeah, it is. <laughs> you remember those? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was kind of known for those. 
Yeah. At least within our ranks. I mean, probably not everybody, but... No, everybody knew. Was it like Joe Boxer or something? It was the Joe Boxer smiley face. They were amazing. They were bright yellow. Also, what is up with yellow? We're both wearing yellow right now. Yellow boxers, you're... Favorite ones were Simpsons and Spongebob. I don't know what's going on tonight, but it's kind of freaking me out. Yeah. Lots of yellow. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it was all yellow. <laughs> nice. Surprised we didn't say the sweater was yellow. Damn, you're right. But yeah, that was my favorite pair of underwear. Nice. I just wanted to talk about this so I could prove to you that I remembered the <laughs> underwear you wore when we were 12. I'm very impressed. I think there's a picture of me out there. I'll try to find it. <laughs> really? Probably. That was, like, a big thing in my family. I would always, like, parade around in the smiley face underwear. <laughs> See, I didn't know that detail, so I'm glad it came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Keenan's going to come down in his underwear soon. <laughs> yeah. I think I did get it for Christmas, too. Awesome. Now, Mike, I couldn't find a music video for this. Was there one? <laughs> Keenan, of course there was. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, tell me all about it, Mike. Absolutely, Keenan. This was actually... Also directed by Spike Jones, the first single, so the first video that they released for the album, and it was a pretty cool effect. It was filmed on a soundstage with a blue backdrop resembling the one on the album's cover, and it was filmed in a single shot using a Steadicam to create this illusion of the band playing in almost a slower motion. They actually played a sped-up version of the song during the video shoot. So then when the actual song was played over top of the film footage, it appeared as though they were playing in sync with the song, but their movements were slower. So I thought that was really interesting. That is cool. Yeah. But aside from that, they're just playing the song and being goofy. And at one point, a pack of wild dogs runs out onto the stage. So yeah, it's all a lot of fun. And I read that they actually filmed a take for this upwards of, 20 times and so the reason why they're acting really silly throughout the video is at this point in time they kind of stopped taking it seriously and are just like let's have some fun with it i read that a dog actually took a crap on (laughs) pat wilson's drum pedal or something like that really yeah so at this point they're probably like let's just get this uh let's have some fun with this yeah i thought it was just very random it was like random to have the dogs kind of run in at the end they would all just, like, stop playing their their instruments for no reason. Now I know why. Thanks for educating me, Mike. Sure. Track number six, Surf Wax America. I gotta say, Mike, I'm a little split on this one. I can't tell if this one is a really happy song or a really sad song. For the first 20 years I listened to this song, I always thought it was a happy song. It wasn't until this week that I kind of started listening to it again and seeing some maybe dark undertones with the undertow. 
in the second portion of the song. Whoa. Because the first part is all about you don't want to conform. You don't want to fall into line and go to work and join the rat race. You'd rather just hang out with your friends, drink beer, and go surfing. That's all well and good. And I think at a certain point, we see you kind of have to grow up and you kind of have to at least do some of the things that are expected of you. At the end, Rivers says, all along the undertow is strengthening its hold. I never thought it would come to this. Now I can never go home. Pretty dark if like he's being pulled out to sea and can never make it back. But I think, like we said, there's a lot of metaphors on here. Maybe metaphorically, it's just saying, eventually, you got to give a little bit. You can't just spend your life doing whatever you want. You have to do some of the things that everybody else does, whether we want to do them or not. Couldn't have said it better myself, Mike. Thanks, Keenan. I do think it speaks to that limit of it's good to enjoy life, but you can only enjoy it so far and you have to get back to your everyday responsibilities. So maybe it's more just about having balance, but totally agree with you. I always thought it was upbeat. I guess I just would ignore that final verse where it gets really dark all of a sudden. I think I would just kind of gloss over that, but it does get pretty dark. Rivers was actually quoted as saying that this song is a sarcastic call to hedonism. He hated drinking and he only did so when he really had to. And so I think he was actually more or less poking fun at people that were always just chasing their next high, their next drink, the vices of life, basically. I think he was saying that that's not the way to live life and that can only take you so far. So yeah, I think it is about striking that balance. We probably forget about that slow, darker portion of the song because it ends on another high note. So That's right. Yeah, it's so quick. Yeah, the drums come in. They say, let's go. Great guitar solo to end it. So it ends on a happy note. Have you ever been surfing, Mike? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> no, Keenan. But let me tell you what. I have been paddleboarding. Given how I performed at that, I can tell you I will never be surfing. <laughs> do you want to hear how it went? Sure. We were in Hawaii, and our resort had a portion of the beach behind it. So you could rent paddleboards or kayaks or whatever and just go out. So Abby, the whole trip, wanted to do paddleboarding. I said it looked stupid. I'd rather sit by the pool and do nothing. Eventually, she convinced me we should do it while we're here. Come on, live a little, whatever. I don't know why I was so awful at it, but I could not stand on the board for more than like 15 seconds at a time. So <laughs> Really? Yeah. Paddleboarding is supposed to be a really relaxing, not strenuous activity, just kind of pushing yourself along in the water and enjoying your surroundings. I can just picture you getting super frustrated. It was insane. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, I had been drinking a little bit during the day. Like, 
<laughs> not to excess. Like, they still, like, let me rent the paddleboard. But eventually I just kind of sat on the paddleboard and didn't really try to stand up anymore. Because the other <laughs> thing was if you got too far away from the shoreline, they would whistle you to come back because they didn't want you drifting out to sea. Mm. And I got whistled a couple times and I was like, I am not trying to do this. <laughs> like, I am falling in the water and I'm strapped to this board. So then I'm like trying to, you know, get above the surface again. It was awful. I just said to Abby, I think it was $40 a piece to do the paddle boarding for an hour. I think I called it after like half an hour. But I told her I would have paid so much more money to be one of the people sitting in a pool chair watching this fat guy try to stand on a fucking paddleboard and just collapsing into the water over and over and over again like it had to have been one of the funniest scenes ever you probably made a couple people's day that's for sure i really hope i did because if i had lucked into seeing that especially because it wasn't like i did it once it was every time and i'm sure they were like oh my god he's gonna try to do it again (laughs) he's going down uh yeah maybe you should stay away from serving have you surfed at all? Nope. The only thing I've done is uh, boogie boarding, <laughs> and that I'm fire at, so. Boogie boarding is fun, man. It's so much fun. Now we go to the beach, and I am, like, trying to avoid boogie boarders, because they come in fast. They do. When I'm riding that wave, get the hell out of my way. <laughs> hell yeah, baby. Hell yeah, baby. Surf's up, brah. Shaka, brah. Track number seven, Say It Ain't So. This was the third single, Keenan, and I don't include this in our usual banter about picking singles for our favorite songs since we were so far removed from this album's release. This is my favorite song on the album. This is also my favorite song on the album. Get the hell out of town. Nope, I'm staying in town. When we talked about Weezer at the Hella Megator, I think I said I liked My Name is Jonas the best, but I re-listened to this album and I'm like, Oh, man, like, this is the best song. It really is. Everything about it, the guitar, the bridge, the solo, like, oh, it's just so goddamn good. Yeah, it's amazing. I know you read Weezerpedia on this one. (laughs) Yeah, I had to. This one has a pretty wild backstory. It was actually inspired by something that happened to Rivers in his own life. When he was younger, his parents got divorced, and a big part of that was because his dad started drinking. And then... Later on, when he was in high school, he came home one day and he saw a bottle of beer in the fridge, and he immediately thought that because there was alcohol in the house, that his stepdad was now going to leave his mom. So he just equated alcohol to bad things happening. And so then he wrote this song based on that perspective, that alcohol was ruining his life, was ruining his parents' life, and was just causing bad things to happen around him. Spot on, Keenan. While the lyrics are pretty straightforward when you know that backstory, 
I never really put all of that together. From what I read, River's father never really was even that big of a drinker. It was just when their marriage was falling apart and they were going to get divorced, he started drinking. And so Rivers immediately thought, oh no, there's a beer in the fridge. Mom and Steven are going to split too. So that bottle of Steven's awakens ancient feelings. I always thought Steven's was like a type of liquor or a brand of beer. Yeah. I never thought it was literally Steven's bottle of beer that was in the fridge. I always thought the same thing, but I remember looking up, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, I remember looking up like, oh, like, what is this brand of liquor? I want to try it. And there was nothing <laughs> out there. I was like, what the hell? What does that mean? Yeah, this bottle of Steven's whiskey or Steven's vodka. Exactly. Speaking of alcohol brands, Mike, can I do something we haven't done in a long time? Can I do a misheard lyric? Ooh, I think I might know where you're going with this, because I think I might have the same one. Really? Yeah. That would be exciting, because we haven't done this little shtick in uh, probably since season one, which is pretty wild. This one's not a typical one. So when he says, somebody's hiney is crowding my icebox. Somebody's cold one is giving me chills. Yeah. I always thought hiney meant like a tushy. I thought somebody's butt was getting in his way. <laughs> Turns out when I was reading the lyrics, it was Heine, which was short for Heineken. Yep, that's the one I was thinking of, too. Is that your exact misheard lyric? Yeah. So Damn, that's so wild. I think a large part of that is that we didn't drink back when we were 11, 12, when we first heard this song. Well, speak for yourself, Mike. <laughs> so Heine was always, to me, I thought somebody was popping a squat on his cooler. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, somebody's... Icebox, right? So I guess it's a refrigerator, but I thought of like a cooler that you would bring to a tailgate and like sit on. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. I thought it was just a cool Weezer way of saying like, somebody's getting in my grill. Like somebody's invading my personal space. Yeah. And this is the band that's also used the word asswipe on a a future record. So Heine is not out of the question for them to describe a rear end. (laughs) Wow, that's really funny. So we both had that misheard lyric. Yeah. That's amazing. Putting it into the context of the song, like, River saw a Heineken in the fridge. It gave him chills. It reminded him of his father, stepfather. With him, the son is drowning in the flood. This flood of booze and overwhelmed by the potential of another divorce to split up his family. It's a really incredible song, honestly. And one that Rivers would say later kind of crazy to try to write a song about something of this nature like something that impacted him like that in his life and i think he said it was one that he could never try to do today but i'm really glad he did because in addition to being both of our favorite songs, i know members of the band say this is one that they still enjoy playing even all these years later and i think brian bell said it's actually his favorite weezer song period so that's awesome pretty cool Probably the reason that we were so confused listening to the song back in the day was because it was about drinking. And drinking was such a weird thing for us. I want to say in middle school and most of high school, like it was something that people around us did. Like our family members would do. Some of the people our age would do, in particular when we got into high school. But I never really understood the point of it until I finally tried it. I'm sure it was the same way for you. It was like, why are people so obsessed with drinking? Mm -hmm. And then you have your first couple beers and you're like, okay, this is kind of (laughs) nice. But 
I just remember it being this like weird thing that people would do at family parties and like then people would start acting weird and you're like, well, what is going on here? This is, isn't that just like soda? I don't know. So listening to songs about drinking back in the day has like a weird, I think it had kind of a weird effect on me. Now I'm like, oh yeah, they're just, you know, talking about getting drunk. Cool. Yeah. Like I said, I never even really attributed this song to alcohol until I understood what Rivers was saying in the bridge a little bit more, I guess. It was weird because it was like, oh yeah, everybody has beer, whatever. And I remember tasting a beer like before I, I started drinking and I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. Like, how do people just sit around and like drink these all day? <laughs> yeah. Because back then we were just like, we would drink soda because it tasted like sugar water. You're like, what yeah. the hell is my dad drinking? This is disgusting. It was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everybody's dad, if, eventually you're like, hey, could I have a sip? And then eventually they're just like, sure, here, shut the f*** up. And then you yeah. sip it and it's like, oh, this is gross. And then you never ask again. Because you always know kids are going to hate it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's just good parenting. Yeah, that's just sound parenting. <laughs> I don't think I ever even went to like a quote unquote drinking party until like late in high school and even then i was still like scared i guess yeah scared of getting home scared of getting caught yeah i don't want to reveal too much on this podcast but it was late high school where i definitely started to experiment a little bit more and i think our friend group started to experiment a little more like late senior of high school and then summer going into college for sure yeah and then once you get to college it's kind of like you're on your own all bets are off baby party time now, Mike, you're the music video guy. What was this one all about? This one was definitely probably not as famous from a video perspective as the other ones, Keenan. I think what really has made this one more popular in recent years was it was featured in Rock Band, which I don't know. I feel like I never even saw this music video when I was growing up. I'm not sure if I remembered it. Yeah, but it was pretty basic. It was them performing in their garage. And their garage was actually something that became kind of famous. Like, it went down in Weezer lore as, like, this awesome place where the band started. They lived there. They performed there together. And so it was them performing in this garage that they lived in. And then (laughs) randomly a scene of them just playing hacky sack. Yeah. What would you think of the hacky sack scene? Yeah, I thought that was cool. That's where I think Carl uh, Koch is featured as well. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. cool. But yeah, aside from that, it's them playing in the garage, which we'll get to soon. I think they had reached this like crazy level of stardom with Buddy Holly in that video, so they wanted to just keep it pretty simple with this third single. I kind of liked it. I liked seeing inside that house and that part in time like that's become so notable amongst Weezer fans. I also love the part at the very end, Rivers just picks up a juice box and like starts yeah. sipping from the yeah. juice box. Dude, yeah. They're so weird. They're so different. So quirky. Love it. Speaking of garages, Mike, track number eight, In the Garage.
Wow, does this one start with a harmonica? It does, Keenan. It starts with a harmonica. It features the harmonica throughout. And man, do I love a good harmonica on a song. You're known for that. You do love harmonica. Who doesn't, though? How could you not? No, but you really love it. Do I? Yeah, you're known for that. I just said it. <laughs> I'm People for... know you as the harmonica guy. The way they know Hello Goodbye as the ukulele guy. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Famous for it. It does have a harmonica. It does reference the same garage we just discussed in the Say It Ain't So music video. The old Weezer house on Amherst Street in Los Angeles. And before the term safe space even existed, it's kind of just rivers and to a bigger extent the band's safe space. It's the place they can go, just hang out, be themselves, play Dungeons and Dragons and not get made fun of, worship Kiss and Ace Friedley and Peter Chris, and not have anybody call them weird for liking Kiss or hair metal bands of the 80s. And uh, yeah, I think everybody needs that spot where they can go. Dude, what are you doing? Abby's printing something. Who is? Abby. <laughs> what? Does she know we're recording? She does, but I don't think she realizes that the printer is like next to the microphone. And I'm going to FaceTime her. Can I FaceTime her right now? Sure. <laughs> no. Well, let me see if she needs this and if she's going to print anything else. Hey, do you know the printer's right next to the microphone? <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just printing three things. Okay, do you need me to bring them up? Do you need them right now? No, just for the morning. So wow. Oh, so you just you don't need them right now, but you thought, oh, <laughs> I better print well, no, it and ruin I... my main source of income with this podcast? <laughs> no, my ho- I'm sorry. My homework is more important than PPP. You can say that. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay, that's disturbing. So now you see what I'm putting up with everybody. You see why <laughs> I have to leave her at home when I go places. Why doesn't she support any of your interests? Okay, I'm gonna hang up because I don't want to be on PPP. Too late. You're on it, baby. Say, see you later, pop punk posse. Uh, see you later, pop punk posse. Um, uh, Trees. Say Who good. Say, <laughs> say good riddance. Good riddance. Perfect. We'll splice that in. Are Pretty you good. Green Day? Yeah, it's Green Day. Okay. Right, We're talking. Oh, what's your favorite Weezer song? Um, Say It Ain't So. <gasps> nice. We just talked that's about ours. that one. That's both. Yeah, because uh, from I know that one from rock bands. Wow. <laughs> she should be a host of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was right. I said I think it got really popular from rock band, but that's yeah, also see? my the favorite. From someone who's not pop punk, so. Well. Mm, she thinks she's not pop punk. Yeah, you think you're not pop punk, but that's my favorite and Keenan's favorite, too. So all three of our favorites. Oh, that's awesome. Big moment for us. Okay, well, I'm glad the guest speaker um, agrees with the, the pop punk then. Me too. All right. All right, have fun. All right, love you, bye. Okay, bye. Wow, she said okay, bye. She didn't I say know. I love you. She never says I love you. Actually? I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> kind of but okay back to the album like i also just love like how weezer this basement is with all the like super nerdy references like on top of the dnd and these like band posters there's cartoons there's action figures it just feels like where weezer would be 
Absolutely. And Weezer was kind of ahead of their time because I feel like a lot of these things have become way more popular and more mainstream in the years that followed. Yeah, totally. Like, comic books are now humongous movie franchises. Dungeons and Dragons is getting really popular. A lot of my friends play it. And back in the day, like, you couldn't be caught playing it. Yeah, I've never played it, but I actually want to try it. It just seems really intimidating because it seems like so immersive and creative that I'm worried that I'll suck at it. <laughs> yeah, same. I feel the exact same way. I really want to try it, but I'm like, I'm just going to be shit at it. Maybe we can try it together sometime. And then we'll do a uh, D&D podcast. Ooh, that would be an interesting spinoff. That's not bad. <laughs> All right, let's workshop it. What do you think our garage back in the day was, Mike? Well, yeah, funny you should ask, Keenan. <laughs> I think every group of friends has this kind of gathering place. I think of that 70s show, the camera circling in the basement when they all hang out. For us, I think it was our good friend Tommy Mackle, his basement. Oh, yeah. His basement was the chill spot for the boys and sometimes girls. And sometimes girls. But as it relates to Weezer, there was a lot of beautiful music composed in that basement. Sure was. Gummy Bear Warriors... Glory Falls, Tom Mako solo stuff, endless. And also Stars Fall In. <gasps> Did they record there? <laughs> they like... Oh, they practiced there. Yeah, like one time they randomly had a rehearsal there. Not sure why, but yeah. Local legends. Yeah, it was a good basement. A lot of fun times down there. Yeah, I think you're totally right. That was like our safe space to just be friends and be ourselves, which is so cool. So goofy. This song is all about being somewhere else and then wanting to just go back to that place because it is your safe place. And that gave me good memories of, do you remember that feeling on like a Friday afternoon in like, I don't know, first grade, second grade, third grade, and you know that you're going to be leaving to go home soon for the weekend. All you can think about is getting back to your like playroom or your basement, wherever you had all your cool toys. Mm -hmm. That feeling is such like a deep, awesome feeling. And listening to the song, I get that feeling again. Yeah, I know what you mean. That anticipation of familiarity that, you know, you get used to going to school over time, but it's still not where you really feel comfortable. You can completely let your guard down, just kick back, relax, and watch some Cartoon Cartoon Fridays. Oh, exactly. Yeah, miss those days. Track number nine, Holiday. Wait, isn't this a Green Day song? It was a Weezer song first. Wow. So I think this could be their vacation song. We had other bands on other albums have vacation songs, mainly The Starting Line, Hello Goodbye, where they talk about just being at this magical place where you don't have to think about all the stresses of life. I thought this could be maybe a physical vacation or just any type of escape. And I think Weezer has mentioned in years past that this song is about escapism, making music, hanging out with your friends, drinking taking part in art, love, whatever it may be. This is just about finding your happiness and embracing it. It's about leaving 
with no real destination, just an escape and not really knowing when you might be back again. You're tired of the familiarity in life and you want something new and exciting. Don't pack your bags. Don't take your map. Let's just go wherever the road takes us and see where we end up. So, you know, whether or not that's a vacation, I think most often it's just a vacation, like starting line points out. But I think this song might take it even further, like on the road forever and never coming back. Rivers has gone on record saying this song is inspired by On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And while he sings the line, On this road will never die, right after Keenan comes the ominous crashing chords of fate. So interesting how the lyrics and the music coexist to create this feeling of dread where nothing can go wrong. We're never coming back. And then here comes reality. You kind of can't stay on the road on vacation forever. Yeah, it does show the good side and then later in the song, very briefly, the bad side of vacation or escape is it does all come to an end at some point and you need to get back to real life. So I don't know. I think that, again, is speaking to kind of the balance in life. The song itself, I think, is cool musically. It's very doo-wop sounding, which I think they do a little bit of in other songs, but this one is almost the entire song. The drum beat has a doo-wop vibe to it. There's acapella singing especially in the bridge when all the music cuts out mm-hmm. and it just becomes this kind of slow vocals only portion. It's kind of cool. They were heavily inspired by the Beach Boys. The first line in the song, Let's Go Away for a While, is a direct reference to the Beach Boys. So only fitting that they have that great falsetto and doo-wop vibe to it throughout. Track number 10, Only in Dreams. Mike, only in dreams do I get to do this podcast with you for the rest of my life. Keenan, that sounds more like a nightmare. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, buddy. Okay. You're like oxygen and carbon dioxide in my life. <laughs> more like carbon monoxide. 
<laughs> got any others? Should I just keep going? <laughs> yeah, let's hear all these zingers. <laughs> uh, uh, I gotta say, Keenan, right off the bat, this is one of the best bass lines of all time, right? I think it sucked. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I actually was gonna say one of the worst. No, I'm kidding, Mike. Yeah, of course, one of the greatest. It's funny. This bass line was something that, for whatever reason, probably because Dave Dixon was such a huge fan of them, we would jam and this bass line would always just come up. And we wouldn't even be trying to imitate it. We, I don't even think we really knew where it was coming from. But I heard this bass line, like, oh, we would like try to make that into a song. I, I remember it vividly. So yeah, it's an iconic sound. It's one that you just don't forget. That's awesome. That's probably because Dave was an incredible guitarist and you guys made him play bass. I didn't make anybody do anything. I was forced to sing, so. <laughs> you just wanted to play something that he enjoyed playing. True. But yeah, I think this whole song is a jam. It's just under eight minutes long, and it's Weezer's longest song to date, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. Very crazy, but I think The Greatest Man That Ever Lived was pretty long, but yeah. not eight minutes long. I figured that one would be longer. That's kind of shocking. It's like four songs in one. Yeah. This one, I kind of forget it's eight minutes because I don't always listen to the entirety. Like, sometimes it's just like, all right, I don't have four more minutes of this song left in me. Right, yeah. And it's kind of funny because on the original CD that Dave burned me, this song actually skipped towards the end. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's where I would always just turn it off. So even today, like... So this might be the first time you've actually heard the song. Yeah, like when I listen to it on Spotify, it's really cool because I'm like, I kind of never heard this part of the song before because the CD skipped and then when I transferred that to my original iPod, it skipped on there. So it's uh, the digital age isn't all bad, Keenan. So I always thought this song was about a girl. It was about unrequited love. Like he knows this girl is way out of his league. It might be sort of a friend zone situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought it could be maybe he just literally has not found that person. Like the right girl doesn't exist. So she can literally only exist in his dreams. Did you always think it was about maybe a relationship? Like he was trying to find that special someone? Yeah. I, well, I always thought of it as an actual girl that would never be into him. So okay. it would never happen in real life. It was only in his dreams. But I do yeah. like that idea that this girl doesn't necessarily exist yet. She's just in the ether, in the air, just waiting to form when he finds her. Never really thought of it like that, but pretty cool. Wherever you're at in life, whether there's this hot chick that hates you or (laughs) you're just waiting to find love, I think this song could fit both of those narratives. I think I'm at both places currently in my life. Yeah, hot chicks (laughs) never like us, man. What are you talking about? You're married to one. That's true. She is hot. She might interrupt our podcast constantly, but boy, is she hot. Hell yeah, (laughs) Keenan. But the only problem is that when we dance together, I crush her toenails into a thousand pieces. (laughs) That's right. I can actually see that happening. (laughs) You big oaf. (laughs) Now, Mike, can I give you a quick third interpretation of the song that comes straight from the horse's mouth? Sure. So after we found two that we really liked, we're going to completely ruin it with the third real one. Yep. Let's make it complicated. Let's go. Rivers has said that he acknowledges that people see it as this relationship song or this guy who's into this girl, but apparently it's really about his own writing process. Hmm. And I was trying to figure out what that could mean, and the only thing I could come up with is you're just so desperate to be this musician who can write these amazing songs, but you struggle to find the right words and notes. And I was thinking, oh, this could be a metaphor for 
writer's block. Like it's right there on the tip of your tongue, but you can't quite piece it together. Maybe that's the frustration that he's experiencing is similar to trying to find your love out there. That's interesting. Usually I would say that's BS and just somebody <laughs> saying that because they want to sound smart and like this really meta artist. But I know Weezer and Rivers do put a ton of time into constructing these songs. Their original goal was to write 50 songs for their first album and then to narrow it down to 10. So they really hold nothing back when it comes to writing and forming these songs. So there you have it. As far as the impact that this album had on the genre, I think it was massive. They influenced tons of future pop punk, pop rock, and alternative artists. And a lot of these songs became pretty widely covered by popular bands even to this day. If you go on Wikipedia and you just look up these singles, you'll see a laundry list of artists that have recently covered these songs and throughout time have covered these songs. So... People are known for appreciating this band and wanting to pay homage to them by performing the songs. When it comes to you and me, Mike, they were one of the bigger bands that we would listen to back in the day. And I think it was because a lot of the themes were more just relatable to us. We felt like these guys were similar to us. They were playing games in their basement or their garage. They were talking about hanging out with their friends. They were talking about young love. It wasn't like the fight the power pop punk that we've heard before, which was sort of a foreign concept for, you know, the 12 to 15-year-old selves that we were back then. These are just things that we could grasp onto and really enjoy. Absolutely. They were relatable to many people. I had said how they kind of bridged my interest from the early pop punk bands that I liked in my youth to bands that I still listen to today, some of which are pop punk. I'm not saying I completely forgot about the genre, but Weezer served that purpose in a lot of people's lives, and some of those people actually could write and perform music, and it makes sense why we see so many bands wanting to pay homage to them, because they were so inspired by their sounds at a young age like we were. As we touched on briefly, Weezer would go on to release a ton more albums. They're still writing and releasing things to this day, and... Rivers Cuomo has always been and probably will always be obsessed with trying to write and compose perfect pop songs. And while they've had many successful releases over the years, people do still love to pan some of their newer stuff when it comes out just because it's not their old stuff. But I appreciate that they are ever-changing and maybe not always evolving, definitely trying to do something new and something different with each album they put out. Like one of their more recent albums, Van Weezer is 
kind of their tribute to the metal bands that they grew up really loving and listening to. So they're in a place in their career where they can do that. They can release an album like that, not be concerned how it performs, and just wanting to do it because they feel like they should. While this album always will hold a special place in my heart, I know I still love listening to the new stuff they put out, and we did just see them, and they did put on an amazing show, so... That's right, Mike. We love them then, and we still do to this day. Weezer for life. Thanks, Dave. Hey, Mike, you know what would be a cool follow-up to that Weezer album? Well, let me think, Keenan. At the Hella Megator, who followed up Weezer in the set? Fallout Boy, of course. <laughs> oh, holy cow. <laughs> we already did them this season, so let's pick a different band. Mike, come on, please. All right, but I insist on doing it with you and an Olympic athlete. An Olympic athlete? How are we going to find one of those? I don't know, but you better figure it out. And fast. I think I know just the person, Mike. Great. We'll find out if you succeeded next week. Next week for our season two finale, woo! we'll be discussing Fall Out Boy's Infinity on High. And I'm going to hit the phone books, Mike, to see if I can scrounge up not only an Olympic athlete, but somebody who's a big fan of this show. That's going to be a tough one, Mike. <laughs> what are the odds of that? That's a tough one even without the Olympic athlete requirement, Keenan. <laughs> I know. So I'll see what I can do. No promises tall task ahead of you my friend while Keenan's hitting the phone books why don't you hit us up on the world wide web poppunkprojectgmail.com on twitter and instagram at poppunkproject patreon.com slash poppunkproject and that's it <laughs> nailed it as always <laughs> always crush it right on your first try and that's it Mike this is the last time we're going to be doing this just together this season it's okay we're going to do a third season right <laughs> To be determined. Well, Keenan, it's been fun as all hell. <laughs> Weezer for life, baby. Pop punk for life. We hope you have the time of your lives. Good riddance. Good riddance.